Good morning. We are glad you're here today. It's a beautiful day. We want to wish all of our fathers a happy Father's Day. We thank you for what you mean to us. And we're grateful for the opportunity to acknowledge your influence in the home and your love and all the good things that you have done and continue to do. We're very grateful for the many blessings and favors that we have in our home. I do want to say thank you to Brother George Jacobs for his years of service here. I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for George, and so I appreciate all his work and his efforts, and so our prayers are with him and Carolyn as they transition to a new phase in their lives, but we pray for them. We're thankful that you're here today. Thank you for coming. If you're visiting, as always, we invite you to come back. We'd love to have you at every opportunity that you have. We are blessed by your presence today, and if you're looking for a church home, I don't think you'll find a better place than right here at Olive Branch. We'd love to have you. We're grateful for the many members here and for all the good things that are going on. We're going to be looking today at Psalm 51, another of our key chapters. Psalm 51. And as we look at Psalm 51, the background to this psalm is David's sin with Bathsheba. David was probably the greatest king in the United Kingdom. I don't know of a greater king. David, as you well know, was a man after God's own heart. David had many successes in life. And David had been blessed immensely by the God of heaven. And yet, when we go back and look at the record, in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, what occurred between him and Bathsheba was not his finest hour. What it says to me is that we're all human, that even the best of the best, the greatest of the great, make their mistakes in life. And you know, as we look at the record and you begin examining the life of David, and there are a lot of highs in his life, and then there are those low points in life. This would have been one of the low points in his life. Psalm 51 is styled by many as the penitential psalm. And literally, David is pouring out his heart to God, pleading with God to forgive him for what has transpired in his life. And so today we think about the theme, broken but not beaten. David was a broken man, evidenced by what is recorded in Psalm 51. And though David was a broken man, he wasn't a beaten man. Matter of fact, David had the ability to stand again and to be used by God in a great way, which says to me, despite our frailties and failures in this life, that God can still use us and He does use us. And so as we look at Psalm 51, I want to begin today by first of all talking about the culpability of David. Without question, David was guilty. You go back to 2 Samuel chapter 11, and there are a couple of thoughts that emerge out of a reading of chapters 11 and 12. The first would have to do with the fact that sin involves a choice. We all make choices in life. Some of the choices that we make in this life 
don't carry a lot of weight. And then there are choices in life that can profoundly affect not just our own lives, but the lives of those that we love and appreciate. And so as you think about the context here, the Bible says it's the spring of year. The children of Israel are fighting against the Ammonites. David is at home. And one night, David goes to the top of his palace, to the rooftop. And from that rooftop, he sees a very beautiful woman, a woman by the name of Bathsheba. And I have no doubt this woman was a very beautiful lady. And so David makes a choice. He gets one of his messengers to go to Bathsheba and bring her back to the palace. Now, did David know better? Sure he did. David made a terrible choice. And David was already in trouble when he sent that messenger, wasn't he? And so as I said a minute ago, sin involves choices. We make choices every day. And sadly, sometimes we make choices that will come back to hurt us immensely. But I want you to just think for a moment or two about the complexity of David's sin. What David did with Bathsheba, the Bible tells us that when she came to the palace, that they had sexual relations and the text informs us that she later conceived, or she conceived and then sends word back to David and tells David, I'm with child. And so this is a complex situation in the sense that, number one, David knew better. And yet David allowed his lust to get the best of him. You remember what James said? Every man is drawn away by his own lust. Lust, when it has conceived, brings forth sin. Sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. And so David makes a terrible choice. And so you have the complexity of his sin, but then add to that the concealment of his sin. When word came to David that Bathsheba was with child, immediately he went into what we would call a cover-up mode. He's got to somehow conceal what's happened. And so he sends for her husband, who's at battle. He's on the battlefield, Uriah the Hittite. Uriah makes his way back to King David. And David, of course, inquires about Joab. And David sets the stage for Uriah to go home, to enjoy the benefits and blessings of home life, to be with his wife, and ultimately what was in the back of David's mind was he'll go home, he and Bathsheba will have sexual relations, and then she'll tell him she's with child, and he'll think it's his child, and guess what? Nobody's the wiser. The only problem was Uriah the Hittite was a man of principle. And he couldn't imagine going home while his fellow soldiers were on the battlefield, while the ark of God was away. So he wouldn't, he wouldn't comply with the wishes of David. And so, sadly, 
through a series of events, David, in recognition of the fact that Uriah is not going to take the bait, so to speak, says, all right, Joab, put him on the front line of battle. I want you to put him out where the battle is the hottest because he knew in his mind that Uriah would be killed on the front line of battle. And that's exactly what happened. Now, there's a second thing that I think emerges out of this text. First, sin always involves a choice. But sin involves consequences. David, when word comes back, matter of fact, you remember word comes to David that Uriah the Hittite's been killed on the battlefield. And it's almost as if he has this calloused, cold reaction. Well, you know, the sword devours one as well as another. In his mind, he's free and clear, isn't he? Because he sends for Bathsheba, brings her to his house after Uriah's killed and after she's gone through her mourning. But what he didn't expect was for God to hold him accountable. And so we talk about the consequences. I think about, number one, the suffering. The suffering that resulted from his sin. Now, God dispatched a man by the name of Nathan to tell David a parable in hopes of jolting David to his senses. And after having relayed this parable to David, and David, of course, is getting, starting to get the point, and does get the point, acknowledges his sin, God said to David in the long ago, He said, look, I anointed you king of Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives for your keeping. He said, I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I'd have given you much more. And then he asked this question, why have you despised the commandment of the Lord? He said, look, you have killed Uriah the Hittite and taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword by the people of Ammon. As a result of that, you need to understand something. I will raise up adversity against you from your own household. He said, the sword will never depart from your house. David would pay a heavy, heavy price for what he had done. So, his family members would suffer. And you think about standing at the edge of a lake or a pond and taking a pebble or a rock and hurling that rock or pebble out into the lake or pond. And what you'll see is ripples, the ripple effect. When we engage in sin, what we don't understand sometimes is there is this ripple effect. David had no idea that what he did with Bathsheba would impact so many other people. And it did. And so, first, there's suffering, and then secondly, the shame. God said, look, you did this thing secretly. Nobody knew about it. Nobody had any idea about what you were pulling off. But I knew about it. And he said, you did this thing secretly, 
But he said, I'm going to give your wives to your neighbors. And he said, you did it secretly before Israel. He said, but I'll do it before all of Israel. Why? Because he had blasphemed the name of God, given the enemy occasion to blaspheme his name. So the culpability of David, David was guilty. Secondly, I want to now think about the confession of David. David, of course, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, admits he sinned against God. When you read Psalm 51, you have the outpouring of a broken man, a man who is pouring out his heart to Almighty God. Now, first, think with me, if you would, about the facts as they relate to his sin. The gravity of sin. You can hear it in the words recorded by David. Over and over again, he talks about his sin, his transgression, his iniquity. The gravity of sin and then also the God against whom he had sinned. Listen to him in verse 3. I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. In other words, what I've done is right before me. I know exactly what I've done. It's in my presence. It's in my view. My sin is right in front of my eyes. And then he said, against you and you only have I sinned. And done this wickedness in your sight. Now, did David sin against Bathsheba? Did he sin with Bathsheba? Of course he did. Did he sin against Uriah the Hittite and having him put to death? Yes. But ultimately, David's sin was against Almighty God. And I think that the text bears that out. The facts as they relate to his sin, the gravity of sin, and again, is it possible that we underestimate the gravity of sin in life? We fail to appreciate what sin can do to a person and what it does to the human family. David realized the magnitude of sin and unrighteousness, the fact that ultimately his sin was against the God of heaven and earth, because all sin ultimately is against God, isn't it? And you know, John said in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, sin is a transgression of the law. The wages of sin is death. And if you read 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan the prophet said to David, you will not die. God could, have, God could have killed David, but he didn't. But that child that was born, you remember later died. So the facts... But here's the beauty of Psalm 51, the forthrightness of David. What I really like about David is he's honest and candid and clear. He is succinct. Did he try to conceal what he'd done? Yes. But once everything came to light, listen, this guy is broken. His heart is hurting. And so he would say, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. David is very forthright about what's happened. 
And the Bible says, look if you would at verse 8. The Bible says David was crushed by his sin. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. David's heart was broken because of what he had done. You know, there are times in life when we live below the knowledge we possess. It might be that we know right from wrong. I would imagine that those of us who are here today, we have a pretty good understanding of what's right and wrong, what's within the limitations of what we can do, and then there are certain things that are off limits. We just can't do them. Why? Because God's, God has prohibited us from doing so. Did David know the commands of Almighty God? Yes, he did. I mean, go back to Exodus chapter 20. One of the things that Moses had recorded about the king he was to have a copy of the law at his side. He was to read and meditate on that law day and night. And in Exodus chapter 20, the Bible says that David violated at least three of those commands. He was not to murder. He was not to commit adultery. He was not to covet his neighbor's house or his neighbor's wife. You could even make the case he violated the command to not have any other gods before him because he put his wishes and his will above God's. So David has violated the will of Almighty God. He is a man that has been broken, crushed by what he's done. There have been people in days gone by that have done some things that I have no doubt they're not proud of. If you look at the life of Saul of Tarsus, I mean, here was a guy that was an enemy of the Lord's church. And he was doing everything within his power to destroy the cause of Christ, wasn't he? And yet when he learned the truth about Jesus, he made an about face. Changed his life completely. And so when I look at the life of the Apostle Paul, I see somebody that had been broken by what he had done. Did the Apostle Paul, when he looked back over his life as a zealous Jew, as a Pharisee, as one who persecuted the church, do you think there was regret? Wasn't there a penitent heart over what he had done? Yes. And so David is a crushed man by his sin. But then note, if you would, the clarity about what he's done. Look at verse, well, in verse 1, listen to what he said. Blot out my transgressions, my transgressions. Look at verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Verse 4, well, verse 3, again, I acknowledge my transgressions. Transgressions, my sin is ever before me. Verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned. Drop down, note if you would, verse 9. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Here is a guy who is taking ownership of what he's done. Are there not people in the world today that are not willing to accept ownership of a lifestyle, of things that they have done? There are many times people want to cast the blame, point fingers. They want to try to indict somebody else or say, you know what, it was so-and-so's fault. Or because of this circumstance or that circumstance. Look, you don't see that in David, do you? Rather, when you read Psalm 51, you see somebody who is broken, who's been crushed by sin, 
and who is very clear about what he's done. David takes full ownership of sin in his life. Is that not what you see in the life of Saul of Tarsus, Paul? Didn't Paul say in 1 Timothy chapter 1 he had been a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man? But he said, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. As children of God, can we make mistakes? Yes, we can. Can we make mistakes in this life that ultimately jeopardize not just our own well-being, but the well-being of others? Of course. There are times in life when we make decisions that impact not just our life, but the lives of other folks. I think sometimes we have this idea that we can just do as we please and nobody's impacted or, or, or hurt by what we've done. That's not the case. And you go back and you look at David. And David had to come to understand that because of what he had done, a lot of other innocent people would suffer. So what we have to step back and think about before we push the go button is how's this going to impact my life? How's it going to impact the life of other people, people that I love and appreciate and care about? David was in, he was in deep. And in order for David to work his way out of the mire of sin, he had to come clean, didn't he? Isn't that the case today? We've got to see ourselves as we really are. You know, one of the beauties of Scripture is it's like a mirror. When you stepped in front of the mirror today, what would you see? All right. When you step in front of that mirror, you see yourself. It is an honest depiction of what you look like, for good or bad. When we look into the Word of God, you know, one of the things that the Scripture does in life, it critiques how we live. The Hebrew writer said that the Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In other words, it's a critic. It tells us what we've done right, tells us what we've done wrong. It points us in the direction of truth. It enlightens us with regard to error. And so... In Psalm 51, we get a good picture of where David stood in relationship to what he had done with Bathsheba and what it had done regarding his fellowship with God. So now there's a third thing I want you to see. It has to do with this cleansing. And first, there is this plea. Born out in Psalm 51, David longs for at least two things. Number one, his desire is for the removal of sin in his life. Listen to him if you would. Again in verse 2, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. David understood that sin had wrecked havoc in his life. And so his plea to God, his fervent prayer to God, was for the removal of sin in his life. Sin is a barrier between us and God, isn't it? And so there is this plea to God for the removal of sin, and then secondly, 
for restoration from sin. Look, if you would, at verse 12. David said in verse 12, Restore to me the joy of salvation. You know, in Luke 15, we have a picture of the prodigal son who went out into that far country. He was a young Jewish man, young Jewish boy. Leaves home with the finest of his father's goods, pocket full of money, life's good. Goes out into that far country and wastes everything within his possession on riotous or profligate living. The Bible tells us in Luke 15, the narration of that parable, Jesus said this fella ended up feeding with the hogs. He's living in a pig pen. That is a good picture of what sin does to people, isn't it? When people live in sin, they're, li they're living beneath the ideal of Scripture. God doesn't want us to live in sin. He wants us to live above sin. When we fall victim to sin, when we transgress the will of God, to understand that there can be the removal of sin and restoration from sin. David had enjoyed a covenant relationship with God. And yet because of his, because of what he had done, he had violated that fellowship. And so his plea to God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. You look at Luke 15 again. And the Bible says that prodigal son came to himself. When did David come to himself? When Nathan the prophet stood before him, told him that parable of a poor man and that one little lamb that he owned. And David recognized, you know what, I'm guilty here. I'm the one who's in transgression. I am the one. I've got to take ownership for what I've done. So now David is pleading with Almighty God to remove the stain of sin. And you think about just, not just the stain of sin, but the shame associated with sin. 3,000 years later, we're, we're still talking about David and what he did with Bathsheba. Think about that for a minute. Etched in stone. Now, there are a lot of high points in the life of David. This was not his finest hour. And yet David, though a broken man, was not beaten. And here's the point. David did not, did not stay in the muck and mire of sin. When the prodigal son came to himself, as Jesus said in Luke 15, verse 17, and said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare, and I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and say to my father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. There was awareness and there was acknowledgement. You will never come out of a life of sin without awareness of where you are. David had to understand that he was in the muck of sin. And he needed, he needed to turn to God. There are a lot of people in the world today who've never obeyed the gospel of Christ. You know, the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews chapter 2, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? God's salvation is great. The Hebrew writer said in chapter 2 verse 9, He tasted death for every man. Jesus paid the ultimate price for sin. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God. The gift of God, however, eternal life in Christ Jesus. The means by which we can enjoy pardon and cleansing, 
is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. To know that Jesus and Jesus alone can wash us from our sins. Saul of Tarsus, when Ananias came to him, what did he say? Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Did Saul of Tarsus believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, he, yes, he did. Was he willing to repent? Spent three days fasting and praying to Almighty God. I have no doubt he repented. He saw the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, willing to confess the good name of Christ and then be immersed in water so that all of his sins could be forgiven. And John said unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins by his own blood. So as you look at the cleansing of David, first his plea and then note if you would his proclamation. David talks about the desires, God's desire from sinners. Listen to him, verse 17. We'll look at verse 16. I do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. Now, under the old covenant, the law of Moses, animal offerings were given to God to atone for sin. There was, as the Hebrew writer said, a remembrance of sin every year. But those animal sacrifices would enable the children of Israel to enjoy a relationship with God through the blood that was shed. So what God's saying here is, and God's not saying, I don't want your animal sacrifices, He does. But note, if you would, what God does want from sinners. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. What God wanted from David was for David to understand where he stood and ultimately to repent, to turn from what he had done and to live according to the precepts set forth in Scripture. What about today? I want you to think about where you are in your relationship to God. You know, the beauty of being a child of God is we are forgiven people, aren't we? But sometimes we stumble, we fall, and we have to make, we have to make things right. It takes a lot of humility to come clean. David was humble. David was willing to take ownership of what he had done and just lay it out, all out on the table. There are people in the world today who are not children of God. They haven't obeyed the gospel, and the reason is because sometimes pride. You ever know somebody that just can't admit they've done wrong? That, they're, that what they're doing or the kind of lifestyle they're living is against the will of God. People like that. David had the humbleness of heart to turn to God. You think about where you are in this life. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, why? What, what's keeping you from becoming a child of God? Is it family? Friendship with the world? Is it finances? 
I mean, there has to be a reason. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, is it because it's too difficult in your mind to live for God? Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. A willingness to deny self, put the Lord first, and live for Him day in and day out. To comply with the conditions set forth in Scripture. A willingness on our part to repent. To give up a life of sin. Let me tell you what, that can be difficult. David willingly turned to God with a penitent heart covenant under which we now live. We have to repent. But the Bible also says we're to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or forgiveness of our sins. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, you're not forgiven. And if you're not forgiven, then the blood of Jesus isn't working in your life. If you're here today and you haven't obeyed the gospel, what would keep you from doing what you know is right. If you're here today, let's just say you're a child of God. And maybe like David, you've wandered out into that far country and you're living in sin. And you know you're living in sin. You know you're living beneath the ideals of what God wants for you. What would you need to do? Can, can you be forgiven again? Well, there are two laws of pardon. God's first law of pardon to the alien sinner. That is, somebody who's never obeyed the gospel. God's second law of pardon, that pertains to somebody who's been baptized into Christ and they want to be restored or they want to be forgiven. John said if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, what you were or what you, or what you have done is irrelevant right now. We're dealing with the present. Now what you've done in the past may impact where you are in the present. But the beauty of Christianity is God has the ability to take care of your sin, doesn't He? However stained your life is by sin, God can cleanse you. John said unto Him who loved us and washed us from our sins by His own blood. I know there are a lot of folks in the world today, and one of the greatest lies of the devil is you can't be forgiven. You've just done too much. Why, why would God want you? The psalmist said many years ago, Lord, if you were to mark iniquities, who could stand? But then listen to this. The psalmist said, but there is forgiveness with you. God will forgive. God is willing to forgive you of any sin in your life. Any sin, all sin. Maybe some consequences as a result of what you've done, but God will forgive you. If you need to respond to the invitation today, please do so. Rise above a life of sin. Live for the Lord. He'll bless you. Why don't you come as we stand and sing?